You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is season nine, episode two, The Soul of the Helper. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is your host, Stephen Roach, and I'm thrilled to continue our conversation today on mental, emotional, and spiritual health for the creative artist. If you tuned in to our last episode, then you heard the incredible wisdom of Dan Allender, who had such important things to say on this subject. And if you're part of our Patreon community, you have access to additional conversation segments on trauma and the creative process, as well as Sabbath and the importance of delight. I'm excited to introduce our guest to you here in just a few minutes. But before we get into the show, I wanted to say a quick thank you to everyone who reached out and showed their support on my recent Instagram update. It's an honor to serve this community and to be back hosting these conversations. I'm looking forward to where the path is going to lead us this year. My guest today is Baylor University Associate Professor, Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Holly Oxhandler is an author, social worker, researcher, and a fellow podcaster. She hosts the show CXMH, a podcast on faith and mental health. Today on the show, we talk about her latest book, The Soul of the Helper, seven stages to seeing the sacred within yourself so you can see it in others. With the background in spiritually integrated mental health, Holly teaches a seven-step process called the Namaste Theory, which is aimed at helping us learn how to slow down and reconnect with the stillness within ourselves. Everyone from working artists to community leaders and caregivers routinely put our own well-being on the back burner until we burn ourselves out in pursuit of the very passions and callings that are meant to bring us life and life to others. So thank you for joining us today as we discuss chronic burnout, compassion fatigue, and what practices we can implement to keep us on the path of mental and spiritual health. Holly, thank you so much for joining me today on the Makers and Mystics podcast. This has been a long time in the making, and I'm (laughs) really excited to finally have you on the show. Mm, Stephen, thank you so much for having me and just for the good work that you do on this podcast. I've been a listener for a while, and I just really appreciate the space that you create for us. So thank you for having me and for what you do. Well, I am really excited to get to talk with you today about your new book, The Soul of the Helper. You know, this the theme of this book couldn't be timed more appropriately for what we are discussing on the podcast for this season, which is the mental, emotional, and spiritual health, primarily for the artist and the creative, but really just for all of us. Yes, yes, absolutely. I'm so glad that you're holding space for these types of conversations because they are so important for artists and creatives in the ways that they are serving others through their art and their music and their writing and, and on and on. So I'm glad you're creating space for this topic. For sure. And honestly, my interest in this subject comes out of my own journey. Mm -hmm. Like I mentioned to you earlier, I've been off the grid for the past year, tending to things in my own life, my family, my marriage, my own spiritual path, my own mental health. Yeah. And so for me, this is born out of personal necessity in my own life, you know, as well as a deep concern and care for the artist in our community. Yeah. 
Good. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. That That's good. Yeah. I want to start by asking you this because you are a professional researcher. You do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? you're, how about this? You're, you're a research artist. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. I love that. I love that. And we can get into that a little bit more in a bit too. Mm-hmm. And I say that tongue in cheek, but you were even mentioning to me earlier that research is a medium of creativity. And so I do want to go there, but yes, in your research, you discovered that there are alarming rates of burnout happening these days. Yeah, yeah. Talk to me about that. Well, I was going to say, when you were just kind of starting to open up a little bit about your need to, to you know, pause over the last year, I was going to note, like, you are not alone in mm. that need to just um, step away and heal from a lot that we have collectively navigated and also individually navigated. Mm-hmm. These rates of burnout have been growing for quite some time, unfortunately, and we've seen them among teachers and physicians and nurses and and even just within the general workplace we've seen some some general workplace surveys that have shown that folks are just they're tired they're struggling they are bumping up against emotional exhaustion and depersonalization and just those feelings that you know what they're doing doesn't really matter or that reduced sense of personal accomplishment. And we've just seen this growing and growing even before 2020. But then certainly, as we've seen over the last couple of years, it's really hit a tipping point, I think, for a lot of helpers. And they are, you know, finally starting to admit it's too much. Right. And I know that, you know, burnout and mental health struggles are distinct in a lot of ways and they can be separate, but also there are a lot of ways in which they overlap. And as we've also seen the burnout rates climb, we've simultaneously seen the rates of anxiety and depression and just mental health struggles in general grow over the last couple of years up to the point of around 40% at one point over the last couple of years of folks saying that they have symptoms of anxiety and depression. Yeah. And I'm seeing that a lot, even with the people in our circles, with artists, touring musicians is one subculture of people that through the pandemic and through everything that we've experienced over the past several years, that's flipped their world upside down, you know, and, but so many of us, And I'm curious to ask you, do you think that this burnout is primarily a result of what we've walked through with the pandemic? Or is this more, you said it even started before 2020, is this more of a result of the cultural pace that we're trying to keep these days? Like what, what do you feel like is at the root of this? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I, I certainly want to approach this with humility because, you know, the the why behind the burnout is not necessarily like my area of expertise, but from what I have seen within the research and personally and, you know, within my own circles as well, I do think that the pace, um, the demand on individuals, it just has grown and grown. And there are more things tugging at our attention without lessons on how to set things down before we say yes to other things, right? I still need to learn that one. (laughs) Me too, my friend. Um, It is a difficult lesson, but 
you know, we, we've just had to take on and absorb more and more and more, but there's a point within our limited human condition where we just can't keep taking on more or doing more or helping or serving or advocating or all the ways that we are trying to serve others. There is just a point in which we have to rest and we have to slow down and set things down. And I think that absorbing and taking on more and more in the ways that we have, it really has moved us to those edges of burnout. Mm -hmm. We just... We just can't keep going at that pace. We weren't made for that pace. Yeah. And I think, again, drawing from my own experience in my own life, I didn't recognize the level of danger that I was functioning yeah. in in my life, you know? That's right. And I, I, think, yep. I think we have normalized a dangerous pace for so many of us. Would you agree yes. with that? Yes, I would. And I would say too that, um, you know, one of the things that I write about in here is that we do have these occupational hazards as helpers that I don't think we're always aware of. You know, we think about folks who are working and, you know, maybe those who are in construction who we may think, well, of course there's these obvious occupational hazards with what they're doing. But for helpers, we're not mindful or we're not always thinking about or talking about those occupational hazards that include um, secondary trauma and vicarious trauma and um, compassion fatigue and the ways that mm. we are just constantly, um, you know, carrying and thinking and holding space for others through their struggles and the ways that that impacts us. Mm -hmm. And we need to do that, you know, that, that work around empathy is so important. But if we aren't thinking through the trauma that we're taking on and how to heal from that trauma, mm -hmm. you know, those edges of exhaustion and how to recover from those. It just, it really worries me as we are going out and continuing to try to serve mm -hmm. with those wounds, those exhaustions, those layers within us that are just not fully recovered. Mm -hmm. And you've mentioned caregivers several times, and I know that's the target audience of your book. But I know for me, I think this applies to so many of us, in whether it's in art communities yeah. or in different arenas of life. But uh, speak to that just for a moment to bring some context. What do you mean when you talk about caregivers specifically? Yeah, that is such a good question. Well, certainly this book, you know, it is written with the intent to serve helpers, caregivers in general, but that does include creatives who are serving, you know, those around them who are appreciating their art and their music. Um, it includes the teachers who are serving the kids, the parents serving their kids um, and partners and, you know, administrators and managers and uh, researchers and authors and, you know, on and on when I am talking talking about helpers and caregivers, I mean anyone who is serving another beloved image of God in whatever it is that they are uniquely equipped and designed to do to serve others. Mm -hmm. And I want to go back to something you said just a few minutes ago, because you used a phrase that really stuck out to me, and it just seems like a, the tip of the arrow, but you used the phrase compassion fatigue. So in social work, you know, compassion fatigue and secondary trauma and vicarious trauma, these are all terms that we we do talk about in social work. Again, I don't know that we're always as mindful of them as we are going out and serving others. But when I'm talking about compassion fatigue, it is that privilege that we have in so many ways to extend that compassion and empathy toward others. Um, it is a gift to be able to do that. 
But when we are constantly engaged in thinking about, oh, this individual with this, you know, struggle that they're navigating and that individual and that community and that organization and that, I mean, we see and are exposed to so much trauma and so many difficult things that others are experiencing. And in so many ways, it is good that we are mindful of those things that others are experiencing. But when we are constantly feeling our heart strings tugged for all of these horrific things that are happening, it 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 really does wear on us. It does mm-hmm. wear on our heartstrings. And we get to a point at which, you know, probably out of a space of survival where we need to disconnect from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not a place that I would ever want or hope for any helpers or caregivers to get to. Um, but that compassion fatigue where you are just constantly feeling the weight of others' lived experiences without getting a chance to, to catch your breath, it really does wear on us. Yeah. And I relate to that as an Enneagram 4 in that heart uh-huh. space, you know yes. what I mean? It's oh, like, oh, yes, I do, my friend. <laughs> you yes, know. I do. It's, mm-hmm. it's like we, we feel everything, we absorb everything, everything. and yes. on the good days, it becomes art, maybe, yes. you know, right, 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 <laughs> yes. But there are spaces where you know, you just you have to you have to set it down. I mean, Mm -hmm. I understand as somebody who is just on the other side of that heart center in Enneagram two space and, you know, and just the, uh, the feeling other people's feelings all the time and always oriented to the emotions that we are just surrounded by, you know, it's good. And it is a gift that we get to do that and connect Mm -hmm. with others in that way. And there's a point at which we have to rest from the feelings of it. One thing that I have been meditating on in my own life Mm -hmm. is the word integrity has at its root Mm -hmm. integrate, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I think one of the issues that I found even in my own life is that I had become so compartmentalized in my life, you know? And I know that you bring together spirituality with mental health and Mm -hmm. and there is a bit of integration happening in this work. Could you speak more into why spirituality and mental health specifically are important to be integrated? Yes. Well, first of all, I really love that you brought up that word integrity and integrated. I know that at its root, the word means whole. And yeah, and it is one of my core values that I write about in this book. And it is important for us as helpers to find those ways in which parts of who we are have had to be disintegrated Mm -hmm. and have been broken off and to create spaces where we can bring all parts of who we are back into the fold of who we were created to be. And so, yes, when it comes to our spirituality and our mental health, those are two parts of who we are that I do know that unfortunately in a lot of spaces, they are not considered in tandem with one another. Uh, We will focus on one, but kind of, you know, just kind of brush off the other, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And vice versa. But from what I have seen in the research and and from my own experience as well, um, we do have to be bringing these these areas of our lives together, and not just these two, but so many others. But you know, again, as a researcher, I really do 
value and pay attention to the work that other scholars have done. And we see over and over that, you know, as I was just mentioning, when these two areas are integrated together within the treatment session, especially for mental health care providers, because that's my that's my you know area of, of study. When we integrate this area of clients' lives into treatment, they do get better faster. And and it's not that you know our spirituality is always a positive and good and you know happy thing, <laughs> <Sure>. right? <laughs> like like let's go to dark nights of the soul yes. and like those seasons that are difficult, but also. You know, we recognize that folks have navigated layers of trauma and abuse in spiritual yes. communities, and um, and they navigate spiritual struggles. But but those belong too within those mental health spaces um, mm -hmm. because they impact treatment outcomes. Because they, you know, when we when we hold space for those layers of who we are compassionately, that's where healing happens. Well, I know that we probably won't solve all of the world's problems in a 30-minute episode, but I think we can get pretty close. And I think you're... <laughs> That's very... I appreciate that. Thank there's you, some, Stephen. There's some optimism for us, right? Mm -hmm. But I do know that one of the ways your book addresses this problem of what I would consider chronic burnout, you talk about something called the namaste theory. Tell us what this means and how this can help us integrate our spiritual lives with mental health care. So if I could just give like a tiny bit of the backstory behind those stages. One of the things that I found in my research was that mental health care providers who were more deeply motivated to live out their faith and were more deeply connected with that intrinsic religiosity within them, they tended to be more likely to attend to and care for and integrate their client's faith in mental health treatment. And so that was really the group of helpers that I started with with this work and as I started to understand, you know, what is happening in the mental health space and within those therapy sessions, I, uh, you know, I, I had this term that surfaced that is a Sanskrit term. It's, it mean, it's namaste and it literally translates to mean I bow to you, but more generally translates to mean the sacred within me recognizes the sacred within you or the image of God within me honors the image of God within you. And as I, I started to think about this term and go to some authors who really are rooted within the culture that it was born from, because I wanted to honor and recognize that um, and approach this term with humility. When I better understood this term, I recognized that this really is a beautiful way of understanding what's happening in those therapy sessions, that as the mental health care provider is more deeply recognizing the sacred within themselves, they are more likely to recognize it in their client. And as I like thought about that more, I realized this isn't just for mental health care providers, but this is for, again, all of these helpers that we're talking about as they are serving and helping and doing and caring for others. Mm -hmm. But what's so important is that they need to be recognizing this divine spark within themselves 
which I, I don't know that we are always often talking about or, you know, holding space for or paying attention to, like, how do we connect with that divine spark within ourselves when we are so oriented to everything outside of ourselves and so much that we need to be doing outside of ourselves. So I, I began to like live into this because as researchers, it's the same with artists and creatives, you know, the work we do, it changes us, Right. Like we are transformed by the work that we do. Yes. And that is absolutely the case for, for me with this research. Um, I began to live into this theory, this namaste theory more. And as I did, I, I really started to notice that there are these seven stages that kind of guide these helpers um, toward recognizing the sacred within themselves so that they can really see it in others. Well, tell us more about these seven stages and why they're important. So the seven stages are speed, slow, steady, still, see, shift, and serve. So they all begin with S, just like the journey of seeking the sacred, like lots of S's <laughs> all over. But the way that they are connected or the invitation within these stages is for fellow helpers to wake up to the speed at which they are operating uh, within their lives, uh, to then slow down and in that slowness, identify some steadying structures that kind of offer some scaffolding and support to stay in that slower pace. Because uh, we need to then get to a place at which we are still, which is very difficult mm -hmm. for so many of us. It's so countercultural. Oh, it is so <laughs> countercultural. I mean, it, it that stillness is an act of resistance yes, for us. I love in that. So many ways. I want a shirt that says that stillness is an <laughs> act of resistance. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, but it's in that stillness, and it's not until we become fully still that we can actually see the sacred within ourselves, that image of God or that divine spark. Um, and then once we see, we can't unsee. And it is from that recognition that we are beloved, that we are then invited to shift with compassion mm -hmm. towards ourselves and towards those around us so that we can serve with this groundedness, this sense of abundance of love, this unconditional love that we have been given so that, you know, as we serve, we're serving without strings attached, without condition, and with that true love that I think that we are called to serve from. I'd love to know what practices we as artists and creatives can begin to explore that might help us integrate mental health care with our own spiritual practices? Oh man, that's such a good question. It, it actually makes me teary-eyed just thinking about your listeners right now. Mm -hmm. I would say that, you know, I recognize that your listeners may come from a diverse background of, you know, mental health layers and journeys and a diverse background of, you know, spiritual experiences and their own faith journey. And so I want to be very mindful and, and, and humble in my approach to that. That said, I think starting with awareness is always the most important. You know, um, in the speed chapter, I write about the shift between pre-contemplation and contemplation. And there's a lot of ways in which we don't even realize that we are hustling for our worth or um, addicted to the speed at which we live our lives. And I think starting with awareness and recognizing, you know, what are those 
you know, those thoughts that are just constantly going that, you know, I don't even slow down to pay attention to them. Or what are those emotions within my heart, like tucked away that I have just buried aside or set aside or, you know, kind of pushed away? Um, Like, how do I hold space for them? And similarly, you know, what is happening within my body in such a way that, you know, my shoulders are trying to tell me, stop going, 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 or my body is just so exhausted and telling me, you need to get some sleep. You are invited to rest and get some sleep. Mm -hmm. I think paying attention to each of these areas of our lives is so important. I always love to elevate. I mean, this is my own bias coming forward, but elevating um, the importance of seeking mental health treatment, I think is so important. I know that there are lots of barriers that can happen and get in the way of that. But my hope is that stigma is not one of them. And so to to say actually in this conversation today that over 80% of us will meet criteria for a diagnosable mental illness at some point within our lives, I want your, your listeners to hear that because there is no shame in needing support mm-hmm. from a yes. mental health care provider, a licensed mental health care provider. Right. So I think that's really important. And then, I mean, there are so many practices in this book that are just, I I would love to elevate, but maybe the one last one that I would mention would be um, the practice of centering prayer Mm -hmm. that um, (laughs) (laughs) it has been for me, perhaps the most transformative one. And for me, it looks like 20 minutes each morning of inviting God into my inner space to heal the things that are beyond my control. Um, And it is a process of consenting to God's action within me, surrendering to God's presence. And and it is hard work. It is not easy. (laughs) I'm not sitting there taking a nap. I am like returning to my breath over and over and over again. But the fruit of finally getting to that point of deeply resting in God's presence and remembering that I am beloved, that I cannot do everything, I cannot fix everything, and and the invitation to discern what is truly mine to do is the gift that comes from that practice, which then pours out into my active life and the things that I do on a daily basis. You talked about getting rid of the stigma that can be associated with seeking out mental health help. And it's interesting because I know that even in my own life, I desperately needed to step aside from everything that I was doing. I had to. But when you're leading things and when you're in a position of influence or caregivers or Mm -hmm. leading a community of artists, whatever it may be, there's that tension and there can be a sense of guilt of like, wow, I'm I'm supposed to be leading the charge, but really I'm the one falling apart here. But I also believe that the path of the maker and the path of the mystic is one of the same and that our inner work and our inner landscape is really necessary if we want to get into some of the more, whether it's uh, outer work or for some, it would be social justice or activism, things like that. Can you speak into that a little bit for me? Yeah, yeah, that's really, I'm glad that you are bringing this up because I think that you're not alone in that wrestle and that feeling of as a caregiver or a helper or a leader or in whatever position you're in to serve others, that feeling of like, 
but I can't step down or I can't step away. There's no time to, there's, you know, there's so many things that are going on that need my attention, that need my service, that need my care. And I think that it definitely, one, it's, I think that there is, it's important to pay attention to the uniqueness of each role because obviously as a parent, that's going to look very different than as like a volunteer, right? So, you know, as a volunteer, it may be easier to step aside and be like, I'm not doing that for this season. We're not going to do that as parents though, right? (laughs) Right, right. um, So I think, you know, there is, I want to be sensitive to those layers. That said, finding ways and discerning what it is that you can set down so that you are able to pay attention to your inner landscape or ways that you can invite others to help you because that's so important. Like we, you know, as helpers, we struggle with that sense of pride in a way that's like, I do the helping and you (laughs) just sit back and receive it. But, But we are human too. And we need to learn, I mean, really learn how to receive support from others yeah. and allow the image of God in others to care for us. That's so important. Obviously, you know, that's not to say that we're going to sit on the couch all day and like <laughs> let others just, you yeah. know, take care of us all the time. But but finding that unique balance, I think, is so important because we do, we desperately need that space to tend to our inner landscape, to tend to those wounds within us, Mm -hmm. those senses of burnout and pain. And we need to do that inner work to heal that in part because doing that healing work sustains us through our activism and our efforts to serve others, regardless of the ways that we're doing it, um, including as creatives and artists. But also my fear is that if we don't tend to those wounds and pains within us um, and slow down and set things down so that we can tend to it, my fear is what are we drawing on as we serve others if our barrel, like our cup is empty and it is only it only has exhaustion and depersonalization and resentment kind of at the bottom of it. I mean, we have to tend to those wounds as well, because as Richard Rohr teaches us, if you know any pain that is not transformed will be transmitted. Mm. And so finding mm-hmm. those spaces to to heal those wounds is is just so critical. And then the last thing I'll say, kind of in in light of this too, is one of the things that I woke up to while writing this book is the realization that. You know, I think as a helper, I'm so often thinking about everything else around me and all the people around me and just the ways in which I can serve outside of myself. But at one point during this book, I realized that we as helpers are a part of this world. And as much as we want to help and heal the world around us, the ways in which we help and heal within us you know, the pain, the inner landscape within us, that counts as part of our global healing. Like we count as part of that. Yes. Well, Holly, thank you so much for joining me today on Makers and Mystics. And thank you so much for addressing such a crucial subject for our day. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Stephen. I so appreciate it. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Patrons of the podcast can enjoy an additional interview segment on research as creative process. 
If you'd like to join our online community and participate in our regular book clubs and online discussions, follow the link in the show notes of this episode or go to patreon.com slash makersandmystics. Links to purchase Holly's book are available in the show notes and on makersandmystics.com. This episode was produced by me, Stephen Roach, with music provided by composer Sean Williams. Thanks again for listening, and a very special thanks to our patrons who make this show possible. We'll see you again next week, and in the meantime, keep creating. The world needs your art.